Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, good morning again, and uh, I want to say a very special good morning to those of you who this may be your first time back. Um, into the building, and uh, we're very glad that you are here, and hope that through all of the distractions and the newness of how this looks currently, uh, that we'll still be able to hear from the Lord. You know, it's one of my probably f- firmest, or or I don't want to say f- fear, because it's not a fear, uh, concerns, I guess, is that the church of Jesus Christ that has been empowered with truly since Adam and Eve. I mean, that's, that's how old our story is of trusting in the Lord, is that in our generation, we will be satisfied in battening down the hatches and holding on and maintaining and maybe even celebrating just being able to be in the same room together as a win. But let me remind you of something. Uh, there, there is nothing that will ever derail the true church of Jesus Christ from being on mission and following the mandate that he has given us to make disciples. Uh, We're still supposed, we're called to take back territory that Satan has taken. Uh, We are called, uh, I don't think that there is a force that exists that is more powerful than the kingdom of God on earth because it is the only thing that has the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in it. And so I think one of the things that we should be processing is what does it look like for us to maybe some questions that we need to ask ourselves and maybe the most important part of our of our experience as Christians is not what takes place in the hour or two hours on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, but what takes place in our daily lives as we go to work, as we go on vacation, as we mow our grass, as we go to the grocery store. How are we supposed to be as brothers and sisters in Christ encouraging each other to not just be the church when we're lifting holy hands talking about the great I am, but how do we live our lives as if he is the great I am Monday through Saturday. The goal isn't to get back into the same room together. The goal is to get the kingdom of God into this world of brokenness. So I think we ought to be asking some different questions and, uh, and maybe learning how to evaluate effectiveness and how to evaluate fruit. And uh, I think instead of saying things like, well, at my church, we I think we ought to start asking the question of what am I doing to help people find and follow Jesus? How is my family engaged in bringing the good news into bad news? How am am I pastoring my workplace for the kingdom of God? I think those are huge questions and, and, and those are the things that we probably should have been asking but now we're being forced to ask of ourselves. So how am I contributing to what God has called all of us to do? And how can I bring that into our relationships with each other? How can I get encouragement from you? And how can I encourage you to do what God has called us to do? Most of you know that Connect Church operates according to four core values. And each of those values manifest themselves in three distinct ways. 
So if you don't know this, this is why Connect Church is such a valuable part of the kingdom of God is because I believe, number one, God gave this to us. But number two, I think it puts, us, it puts a, a good little form or structure around what God has, has called us to do. The first core value is worship. Now, what we did just a moment ago was worship the Lord corporately. That's most people's first step into uh, church is corporate worship on a Sunday morning. But listen, that does not make Sunday mornings more important than Monday mornings, right? The worship, because God doesn't change. God's the same God of Monday morning as he is on Sunday morning. The difference is we can be together when we worship corporately. And we want to put a, a, a level of, and I don't mean this ugly. I've heard some of you sing, and if you're singing the name of Jesus, it sounds pretty. But, but we want to put a level of excellence as we demonstrate on Sunday morning what it looks like in your own heart on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. And so the first layer of, um, of worship is corporate worship on Sunday morning. But we want you to be experiencing the worship uh, that belongs to the Lord every, every day. And the third layer of worship is and I believe as just as important as the other two, Sunday morning is important, but your worship on Monday morning is just as important. But just as important as that is you bringing other people into your worship. You know, you're, you're sharing uh, opportunities for people. You're encouraging and stimulating worship in those around you and talking about the goodness of God and bringing people into that. The second core value is the word. We also want to demonstrate as a church what that looks like and that is corporate Bible studies, and we offer, have offered many of those. We still have lots of opportunities because it's a core value as we're looking about uh, being simple and only asking the bare minimum for discipleship. That's why we still offer uh, Connect 20. We're still offering uh, Bible studies. Some of our teachers come in and record. Some of your teachers are still doing that online because that's a core value. That's not something we just do. That's something that we know is very important to discipleship. But just as important as corporate Bible study is your daily time in the Word uh, as well. That's where we really gain more insights. Uh, it's easy for us to read books and be told what we should think. It's easy to listen to a pastor and him tell you what you should think about a passage of Scripture. It's a whole other thing for you to open the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit teach you himself. That's very important for us to do that. And then, and then to throw that around to one another, what we're learning and processing through the, the spirits to see if it be of God. Well, just as important as what we do corporately, what we do daily, but you ought to be looking for opportunities to share the truth of God's word into the lives of those that God brings you uh, in, in maybe coworkers or family members or neighbors or, or you know, family that may live away, but, but sharing the truths that you're gaining uh, and, and giving them away. The third uh, core value is our walk. We would say our daily habits, how we're influencing people. We primarily do that through life groups. Uh, but life groups are just the model. They're not the goal. Just as important as life groups is your daily opportunity to influence people and to be able to, uh, to manifest your habits and to live holy and godly in relationship to the people that God brings to you because that's who we're called to, right? As we are going, what are we to do? As we go, what? I 
somebody installed plexiglass <laughs> uh, in this. So what's our goal? What's, what's, why, why do we get up in the morning? To what? To make disciples, to help people find and follow Jesus. And so this is, the, this is the point, this is the reason that it exists is to move beyond ourselves and to become a daily influencer and a daily walk with the Lord. Brings us to the fourth core value, and that is the world. The world. And that is we ask you to be a part of a serve team at church. But if you're serving in the local church, we want you to take another step and serve through the church into the community. And once you're serving, we're just modeling what does that look like and giving you opportunities to develop networking opportunities to be able to give your life away individually on a daily basis. So as the Lord tells us to love Him with everything that is in us, when it comes to worship, we love Him and serve Him in spirit. With the Word, we are loving Him and serving Him, worshiping Him with our mind. In our daily walk, we are loving Him and serving Him and worshiping Him with our soul. And in our world, we are loving Him and serving Him and worshiping Him with our bodies and our strength. You know, when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, He said, go and make disciples. Again, translated, it is present tense. That going is not a one-moment decision. It is an ongoing, perpetual decision. So a, a good English translation of that verse would be, as you are going, or as you are on purpose, as you are fulfilling the calling that God has, has laid upon you, as you live and as you breathe, make sure as a priority you are making disciples. And then he tells us how to do that. So, But we are to make disciples, but that is the what that is the what. What am I supposed to do? Make disciples. The thing that's missing here is the why. But why do we make disciples? And I'm afraid if we only settle for the what, we will lose our motivation. And making disciples will be something that we have in our paper, but not something that we have in our heart. Making disciples will be something that we, we know with our head is the right thing to do. It's an obligation. It's a responsibility but why am I supposed to do it? And you know good and well, if we lose the why, we will eventually lose the action because we'll get complacent and grow apathetic, which is exactly where I believe the church is today. So we can't miss the why. The why is the most important part. It's the motivation. It's the continuation. So here is the why. Why should we make disciples? And the answer is simple, and it's found in everything that I've encapsulated, everything that I've said so far, and it's worship. The why is worship. Why do we worship? Because God deserves it, and God honestly demands it. He doesn't just command it. You see, worshiping the Lord, and uh, again, some of you have heard me say this before, but it seems a little bit arrogant uh, for God to demand for us to tell Him how good He is. And I hear that from a lot of people. God seems to be so self-serving when he does that. Well, listen, I would be self-serving if I demanded your special attention and I demanded your devotion because, quite honestly, I don't deserve it. Or at least it's debatable. And I'm saying it in my own head. So for God to demand worship is only arrogant if he's not perfect. Because he is perfect, for him to expect any less of that would be evil. 
Because he alone, he knows what happens to us when we are in his presence. He knows how we are stimulated, how we are activated, how we, are, how we understand how our lives are transformed. He understands how our priorities shift when we're in worship because we're in his presence when we're in worship. And so worship isn't something that he just demands for us to do. Worship is a privilege. It is a gift that God gives us that makes us look more and act more like him. It's how we finally figure out who we are in Christ. For us to reduce worship into just something we do is to miss the whole point. And I think many years ago, probably about three decades ago, we started becoming really, and and again, I I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I don't want to take a whole lot of time for it, but we become very seeker-friendly. And churches began to water down much of what they did because they didn't want to make the world feel uncomfortable at church. And what happened is we started becoming very entertainment driven and very and that taught our people to start being very consumer driven which means that people start asking themselves do I like that or do I not like that and we start moving around based on what we like and what appeals to our flesh instead of what we need for the upbuilding and the transformation of our spirit that's not our fault that happened but I believe it was a trick from from Satan himself to water down the worship in fact here's how I know that that's true a lot of times now when we are talking about worship and many of the worship wars have subsided. But when we talk about worship, we talk about songs instead of the message of the song. We start talking about what songs we like. Well, I really like that song. That song really does something for me. Well, that's consumer driven. That's not really worship. That's, that's what, those are the questions you ask when you go to a Fleetwood Mac concert or listen to James Taylor or whoever's popular now. Just kidding, a little bit. I know who a little, uh, some are popular, but anyway. James Taylor's, uh, anyway, whatever. So worship, listen, this is so important for us because I really want us to take this and I want it to be, and not in our church's DNA, it's already in our church's DNA, read some of our signs. I want it to be in our individual understanding, the DNA of our own individual lives. We've got to understand this. We've turned much of worship into something that it was never intended to be. The worship part of our service is singing songs, lifting our hands, or feeling something. You ever, you ever thought that when you leave? Boy, I really felt something today in worship. Well, you weren't supposed to. You weren't, worship isn't designed for you to feel something. Worship is designed for you to empty yourself. It's for you to deplete all of your energies in response to the presence of God in the room. The presence of God in the room that you brought in with you. See, worship wasn't designed for you. Worship was designed for the Lord. Now, it may include those things, and it certainly does, but worship is much deeper and very much more focused. Worship doesn't exist so that you can feel something, but so that God can be glorified through you. That's why worship exists. It's so that you can experience the very presence of God himself, that he can come near and transform you permanently and ongoing. Worship doesn't exist so that God will know that you are in the room. Worship exists because you have remembered that he is in the room. Worship isn't something designed to fill us up. It's something to empty us. 
It's not something that's designed for us to feel, but it's something designed for us to be able to hear. Discipleship is the most obvious proof that worship has existed. You hear that? That's something that I want you to really underline or write down or remember. Discipleship is the what. That's the command. But discipleship exists because worship doesn't exist at the level that it ought to. So let me say that again. Discipleship, that that ongoing teaching, learning, growing, giving, bringing people in to your growth and development, discipleship exists. It's the most obvious proof that worship has existed in your life. When you worship, there is a natural, obvious proof of real worship. And that is the giving it away and establishing it in someone else. Now, don't get me wrong. Feelings are important. But understanding them is equally important. You can come away from a worship experience and feel something. Not unlike a concert. But the question is, have we touched heaven? Has heaven touched us? us in a way that we know what God expects and has empowered and equipped us to be and to do. We must be very careful that especially right now when it is, uh, you know, if, if developing as a Christian equals 100%, it's 90% easy right now to be a consumer because we're just waiting and evaluating. Got a lot of time on our hands to ask questions that that we ought not be asking. We must be very careful that we don't become consumers, but truly devoted worshipers, always and at all times. And by the way, here's another benefit of worship, is that worship, everything in your life can be worship. Worship begins in my acknowledgement of God's presence. In fact, true worship cannot take place until I acknowledge His presence. We can sing songs and we can feel good about our songs. We could even read scripture and do great in Bible trivia. But if we're not in the presence of God himself, it will not last. So our times on Sunday are not for us. Well, unless we're consumers. Again, that makes us the beneficiaries. But man, this is his time. But you know what? So is lunch. So is nap time. That's his too. Our time in the word is worship. Our time talking about his principles is worship. Our time distributing his peace. Our time developing his people. It's all his because we are all his. Well, this was a fact that the Antioch church understood full well. So turn over to uh, Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. Everything we do exists because worship doesn't. Um, I tell you what, on your way to Acts, uh, go ahead and stop at John chapter 4. And for those of you who are not at home, I mean you, uh, for those of you who are at home, uh, you may, uh, I wanna, I'm going to speak just to the room for a moment. I know the Hispanics are worshiping right now. <laughs> and I know they're a little louder than... Uh, then it's easy to block it out. But let's do our very best effort not to be distracted by that, okay? Let's just be glad that worship is taking place and, uh, 
and, and, not, and not be distracted by what they're doing right on the other side of that wall. Very thin wall. <clears throat> so my time with God's people makes my worship better. You know, when I stand up here and I'm singing and I lift my hands and I'm able to, to, to hear your voice, man, it is just, it, it, it fills me because I'm emptying myself. Uh, when I see your hands lifted up, it just, I remember that I'm not alone and that we're brothers and sisters and we're in this together. Just something special about being together that makes worship better. My time in his word makes worship better. My time serving makes my worship better. Everything we ask of you or that he asks of you exists so that worship can exist. You know, I think about the mandate that God has given us to make disciples or as we say to help people find and follow Jesus is really found in John chapter 4 verse 23 the second part of verse 23 this is Jesus's dialogue with the woman at the well when he says true worshipers listen to that true worshipers it seems to be there's at least two categories of true worshipers and not true worshipers so to do it the right way, Jesus says, true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth. With your feelings, your, your, your transformed emotions, and the truth of God's Word. Four, that's why, why? True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, why? Because the Father is what? He is seeking such people to worship Him. He is seeking, the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Jesus said that the Father is zeteo in the Greek. It means to search for or to scour, to crave. What God is doing is He is, he is seeking and craving, desiring people to worship Him in spirit and truth. This is what God wants because God knows that worship is good for us. Why does God want us to make disciples? Because God is seeking worshipers. Disciples don't just know more. Disciples worship. Those things are in direct correlation to each other. Empowered disciples are first and foremost worshipers. Secondly, worshipers are disciple makers. Because we are seeking worshipers for His glory. Listen, my goal isn't just to run around the world and trying to get people lost so they can get saved. The goal of converting people to Christ isn't just to put their souls in heaven. The goal of discipleship and conversion is to see people shine through their brokenness to be able to worship the Lord. Our responsibility is that the whole earth glorify God in such a way that the world has changed. That's the purpose of discipleship. Not just tick marks in a Bible or conversations to be had so that God can be pleased with us. It's that we are doing the work of the Father. What is the work of the Father? To seek worshipers. We should look to recruit as many people as we can to be on Team God and to be able to lift their holy hands to Him. That's the point. Not just so that we can go to heaven, but that God deserves glory in this world. He called us to make disciples of the nations, but he makes worshipers from disciples. Look up quickly at, at uh, the church at Antioch. This is in uh, Acts chapter 13. 
If we've seen anything so far about this empowered life, especially through the, the first empowered believers, it's that prayer and praise are the two key elements for maintaining the empowered life. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now this word worshiping is the word that I want to bring to your attention. That's in the ESV. Some translations would say service. Some translations say ministering to the Lord. But the Greek word is liturgeo. It's where we get our word liturgy. It's a really interesting word. It's, uh, it, it means the process or the form of worship. It's the structure or the processes of worship. Some of you may come from a, a high church or mainline churches that, that still talk about liturgical scriptures or liturgical songs and have liturgical books. This is the processes, like the books of prayer and those sorts of things. This is the certain day where this is the verse for the day. This is uh, liturgy. It's the forms and practice of worship. But that's not the original meaning of the word, the original meaning of the word. In, sec, in the secular world, the word uh, uh, liturgy in English means to work for the state at your own expense. You know, nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody gets up and goes to work so that they can pay their employer. <laughs> I mean, this wouldn't make sense for anybody. You go to work, you want a paycheck. That's usually the motivation. But this word means I get up and go to work and I pay so that I can go to work. It means a complete emptying out of myself, complete and utter selflessness. In worship, you are emptying yourself for the glory of God. You perform for the Lord. Now listen, most of the time, now I don't know that we would say this in our own minds, but most of the time when it comes to worship, we think about God doing something among us. Like God, and I, we would never say God performs for us. But many times that's what we expect God to do. I'm going to go to worship and God's going to answer a prayer. God's going to do something for me. But the truth of the matter is when it comes to worship, it couldn't mean any more different than that. It actually means that we are working for him and expect nothing. Nothing in return. In fact, I am completely self-sacrificing everything that I am for his glory. While worship was taking place here, God spoke very clearly and very concisely. And they all agreed, and they didn't have to say, well, maybe God wants us to do this, or maybe God wants us to do that, or it seems to us, here's what we ought to do. While they were worshiping and praying and fasting, the Lord spoke, and there was no mistake of what the church was to do next. Can you imagine being the church that commissioned the Apostle Paul to missionary work? This church nailed it, but it started with worship. But it always starts with worship. Luke emphasized by repetition the role of fasting and praying in this church. And I think we need, uh, we've missed it because fasting is hard. Fasting is hard. Fasting is completely selfless. In fact, it's the one thing in Scripture that if you're fasting, you can't tell anybody about. You can tell people about your prayer life or your Bible reading or your, but when it comes to fasting, people should know that you're fasting. And so it's the one thing I can't brag about and tell you how great I am when I fast because it's so personal and so emptying. It's tough. I think that may be one of the reasons why it is 
kind of moved out of mainstream Christianity. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, we find Jesus' description of prayer. This is uh, actually coming at a rebuke of the Pharisees, but there are parallels um, in verses This is in Matthew 6, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 16, where Jesus says, When therefore you give alms, he then he says in verse 5, when you pray, in verse 16, whenever you fast. So Jesus was critical of not giving and not praying and not fasting, but the liturgy of it, the forms that that it had taken. They were giving so they could be seen. They were praying so they could be seen, so that they could get glory, so that they could get applause, so that they could get approval, so that they could have a good reputation. They were even fasting and letting their facial hair grow and walking around weak and weary so people would say, oh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fasting. Thanks for asking. They were doing all of the things, but they were doing it for them. They had become consumers, and they loved it. That's what Jesus is rebuking. Jesus goes on to say, no, when you give, give this way. When you pray, pray this way. When you fast, fast this way. He does not rebuke the action. He rebukes the form. Also in Matthew chapter 17 Verse 14 through 21 is the demon-possessed boy that, you know, the, the disciples are trying to cast the demon out and they can't do it. They come back to Jesus and say, well, why, why can't we cast the demon out? Jesus said, this kind can't be cast out except by what? Prayer and fasting. Fasting helps our motivation and it helps our focus while we pray. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I ever learned this, but I used to think that fasting was, you know what, I'm really serious, Lord, and I'm not going to eat until you do what I want. It's kind of like a, like a, I don't know, an elementary school kid that says, you know, from their mom and dad, I'm, I'm going to hold my breath until you give in. I'm going to show you how serious I am about it. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is about getting into a selfless place so that we can agree with what God wants on any particular matter. Fasting is linked with abstinence from food or drink for a particular period of time for a specific reason of prayer. It can be planned. It can be spontaneous. But back in Antioch, the church took this long-held practice of their forefathers that had been going on for thousands of years, and they brought it straight into Christianity. They didn't have to ask themselves, is fasting Christian? Can we fast? That, you know, when it comes to the Passover or to the sacrifices, they had to process, what, what are we going to do with all of that? But with fasting, the very first church right out of the gate, fasting is of the Lord. That's going to be a practice we continue. And when they did that, they heard from him. Again, worship wasn't about them. Worship was selfless. Worship was service. Worship was emptying. Worship was about prayer and communing and cooperation. This is why it's so important for the church to be together. Worship wasn't about being heard. Worship was about keeping ourselves in a place where we could hear. In fact, you look at this verse, their prayer isn't mentioned, but God's answer is. Because even in prayer, in worship, in fasting, God's answer is the important part. Not what you're thinking, feeling, wanting, desiring. It's, it's sitting into the presence of God and saying yes before you know what the question is. That's what it is. Prayer is about sitting in the presence of God until I can say yes. And once I say yes, 
that's when God will speak. Think about Nehemiah. If you go over to the book of Ezra, and uh, we won't tear all of it apart, but in the Nehemiah, right out of the gate, Nehemiah, the children of Israel had been taken into captivity by Babylon in 586 or so B.C., and they were in captivity for about 50 years before King Cyrus said, okay, some of you can go back and start rebuilding your city again. When they get back to the city, they've, kept, they've been kept in Babylon now through, well, the Persian Empire's actually even taken over from Babylon. They went through King Darius, that's during Daniel's time, and, and then Xerxes, if you remember Xerxes, uh, this was uh, Esther's husband that she, uh, that she went into the throne room, you know, get all this good history during these days. They were in captivity a total of 70 years, but there was already a delegation back in Israel trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Well, those who had not, the remnant that hadn't gone back yet, Nehemiah was one of those. He was a cupbearer to Artaxerxes, which is the son of Xerxes. And he is uh, in Babylon, and he finds out about Arsusa, which is the capital there, he says, uh, uh, Nehemiah is praying and he is mourning and he is grieving for days. And he finally comes into the presence of Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes says, what is going on with you? I mean, listen, when your cupbearer is sad, you want to know why. So what's going on? Said, well, man, I've just heard some news from my people back in Israel that the rebuilding is not going good. In fact, the Samaritans had waged war and, and they weren't building anymore. And here's what the king said, surprisingly, out of nowhere. He says, what, what can I do to help? Now, this is important because it's just right there in the first couple of verses in the very beginning. And it says, and Nehemiah inquired of the Lord. And wait a minute, the king of the empire just said, what can I do? I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. Lord, what can he do? He can send you. And so that's what he says. I'm the cupbearer to the king. And he says with boldness, and I know what God wants for me. Send me, and I'll go. And he goes, and, and then he's sidetracked, and it says he prayed. And then he's, you know, he's living in fear. All these people living in fear. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And as he's leaning himself out before the Lord, every time he is emptying himself, the Lord speaks clearly. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. If I were to ask you right now, what is your purpose in life? Most of us would say, I don't know. Just get up in the mornings. What does God want you to do? I don't know. I pray about that all the time. I want to know what God wants me to do. I think most Christians, if they were asked, what is God's next step for you, would say, I just don't know. I wish somebody would tell me. But we don't find that modeled anywhere in Scripture. In Scripture, when we're quiet before the Lord and we already say yes, He speaks with clarity and we always know what to do. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it means we're empowered to say yes. When it comes to prayer and worship, prayer must come first. How many times in ministry have I planned and then prayed about it? Lord, here's what I want. Here's what I think. Here's what seems right. Here's what everybody else is doing. Now, if you'll just bless it. But in Scripture, we see it reversed. We pray and then we plan. Prayer is a powerful part of worship. But prayer is only about emptying ourselves. Yes, you can tell the Lord whatever you want. Just make sure that when you're praying it, you're giving it away to Him. Emptying ourselves of ourselves so that we can hear what He wants to do.
Just think about the early church, and we say, well, yeah, well, they were the early church. That's true, but here's why they were. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, don't miss this. Yes, they had Pentecost of 3,000, and they give the giving of the Holy Spirit. But remember what happened at the giving of the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 1, verse 14 of Acts. And they were together in their hearts and minds and devoted to prayer. I said, wow. That's, and then they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Once they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They devoted themselves to prayer. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And over and over and over, we see prayer as a prerequisite for hearing from God. Prayer is, is, worship is not about God hearing from us. It is about us knowing what to do next for his glory. You look at Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord right high and lifted up. And the, the, uh, the, his robe filled, filled the temple. And I saw two, you go through all of it. I want, us to go, I want us to go through it for a second though. But as he is processing through the, uh, the, the worship experience, the first thing that he is doing, we need to understand he's doing is, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne. This is a great worship experience for him. In his brokenness, the king had just died. In his brokenness, he was able to see the Lord. What did it do? It brought him to a place of confession. Oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. And a place of repentance. And I leave in a, in a world where a, a, a land of men with unclean lips. And then I heard the Lord. Right? Confession, repentance, and I heard the Lord. And he said, whom will I send and who will go for us? And that led him to a place of sacrifice. Here I am. Send me. Over and over and over we see it repeated in Scripture. Worship initially comes from God. It is a gift that God gives us that follows an emptying why would we be settled? Why would we settle for an emotional experience depending upon how we feel when we could experience the gift of God's presence? Don't, don't fall for the trick that your feel good is God's presence. Here's how you know you've been in God's presence. You know how to apply the truth that he just spoke. You know what to do next. And I'll tell you, and I'm not abdicating the responsibility, but pastors can't do that for you. I don't have the mechanism to bring you into worship. I don't have the mechanism to perform worship so that you can know all of that. And neither does Chris. Nobody on our worship, nobody in our church has the ability to give you the gift of worship. The gift of worship is something that God and God alone gives. As a pastor, I've spent many years distracted in worship. Why are the Hispanics so loud? Why does that light keep flickering? Why does that always give us feedback? Why is that line of chairs crooked? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You come to a worship service that you're responsible for and you're saying, I cannot believe that that light bulb is burned out. That's really going to affect people's worship. 
You know, I'm just going to be, I don't know, I just, I'm just going to say this. A lot of times, too, when you, when, you, when you come into church and you're getting ready to worship the Lord and then you've got this barrage of criticisms about that was in the floor or that light is burned out or why didn't that get picked up or this thing or that thing. It's really hard to be in that mindset. Rather than focusing on the presence of God, we focus on the technical production. But you know, sometimes as laity, we can focus on the performance rather than the adoration of a king. We talk about songs rather than the truth. We talk about the music instead of the heart. We talk about the preacher instead of the message. Listen, we are only robbing God and impoverishing ourselves when we do that. So, in closing, as we are winding down, let me give you a list of things that worship will always do. Number one, worship provides supernatural empowering. That's where the empowering will not happen upon you unless you are in the very presence of God himself. In Psalm 22, verse 2, it says, God inhabits the praise of his people. Moses was called to lead his people, right? And he says, I'm ill-prepared. I'm ill-equipped until he encountered the great I am. And when he encountered the great I am, he, also, he found out very quickly that victory belonged to the Lord. And by the way, so did the resources and so does the ability. But he knew what he had to do next. Number two, worship is the vehicle by which God communicates his purpose. You want to know what God's will is? Worship. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, sit in His presence and hear from Him. Number three, worship is the key to commitment. Um, I think of, of Isaiah, you know, his yes came as a result of his worship. So many people want to say... Wait, they want to say yes or no and then worship. But I can tell you, you can't worship the Lord and say no at the same time. Number four, our goal is that the whole world, the whole earth will be worshiping. Our tool is to make disciples. Worship is essential to evangelism. They're, they're not competitors to each other. Uh, you know, if we're not careful, we think that some people are worshipers and some people are doers. They're not in competition with each other. But, it, but, but let me say this, and I, and I want to say this very clearly and carefully. Uh, church, the church experience is for the churched, right? It's for the churched. Uh, he told us to come. And then he told us to go. But when we turn the church experience into a come for the world, the church can never be empowered to be what it needs to be because we're always catering after those that it, the church was intended to be. Let me explain to you 
what I mean by that. Sometimes the greatest, the deepest, the most meaningful evangelism that we ever, that we ever do is invite people to church. And I'm not demeaning that at all, but I am saying this. The goal of the disciple maker is to be able to lead people to Jesus Christ at work, in the yard, at the store. To be able to make disciples where as you are going, not just to get them into a church. You see, that will be a byproduct of seeing them come to the Lord. Listen, the Lord called us to go. He didn't tell the world to come. And I'm convinced that that is the number one need of our church during these days. Because this is a day where your best effort at inviting people into an emotional experience is not going to bear much fruit. But you being the very hands and feet of Jesus as you go can change the world. At least the river valley. And I'm going to tell you, just like the Lord told Moses, I know you're not prepared. And I know you're ill-equipped. And I know you have a ton of excuses. But here's something that overrides all of that. You are empowered by the very presence of God himself. To do everything that he expects you to do. And what he expects you to do is that the whole earth worship and glorify Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. How do I do that? Well, it's difficult. It's, you have to say yes before you know exactly. But that's why our relationship with one another is so important. Because we can encourage each other and stimulate each other. And I hope that we are doing that. And listen, coronavirus can't stop that. We are his mechanism to do just that. Now, let me say this too. The world and the lost are very, very welcome here. But that does not remove from us the responsibility and the blessing of reaching people personally with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that has to come from our daily time with the Lord. Worship, not obligation. We all need to be worship uh, worshipers so that we can all be soul winners. The fifth and final thing that I want to bring out about worship is this. Worship is where we grow. Now let me, let me explain it this way. Understanding reading Scripture is very important. But you can read Scripture and not grow. But you can't worship the Lord and not grow. Worship is where we grow depth. You can grow understanding by reading Scripture. But you grow by transformation when you spend time in the presence of God. When worship focuses on experiencing God's presence and exalting Him with my yes and my applause in everyday life and I bring the overflow of that into community with one another, I'm telling you, this is the thing that our spirit is craving more than any other thing. I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 28 again. When Jesus said, as you go, make disciples, that's a very important part of this. But I also want to say this. If you go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, just the verse before, it, well, verse 16 and 17, it talks about all the disciples coming out and meeting him at the mountain that he told them to meet him at. And they worshiped him there. Worship was the prerequisite. When they were worshiping him, what, what, what was the culmination of that worship? 
Go and make disciples of all the nations. So let me remind you why worship is so important to us. Worship is not about singing songs that we like or singing songs that we can feel. It's about singing, emptying ourselves out in adoration of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What we do on Sunday morning is important, but it's just as important what we do on Monday morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together. I pray that as we have a limited amount of time uh, to fully devote to the importance of this, I just ask that as we look at this, the church at Antioch, and as they, as they worshiped you, as their form said yes, uh, bef- long before you spoke, when you spoke, it was clear. So Lord, if there's ever been a time where this church needs to hear your voice, I pray that we would stop doing all the talking. I pray that we would get serious about how to reach our neighbors, how to reach our family. I pray that we would quit taking our best efforts and we would be able to move concisely and simply with a clear voice to the world. I know that you still want to see people's hearts transformed and see uh, spirits uh, resurrected. And Lord, I pray that you would use us to do that. And doing that on a Sunday morning may not be our best effort right now. So as we go, Lord... Help us to see the world of influence that you keep bringing to us. And may we no longer live in fear, but may we say yes. Even now, Lord, may we say yes. But we are desperate for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc. I'd like for us just to sit in silence for just a moment. You can leave whenever you're ready to go. Uh, But I'd like for us just to start, just to sit. Listen, remember, don't do all the talking. Just say, Lord, if you will speak, if you will show me, if you will burden me, how am I supposed to reach my community? How am I supposed to talk to my wife? How am I supposed to talk to my husband? How am I supposed to lead my kids? How am I supposed to... How? I promise you, he is the perfect communicator and he wants you to know his will and his ways. He, he died so that you could know and hear. So this morning, I want to encourage you, just, just sit back for a moment and just stay in his presence and just say yes. Lord, whatever it is you want from me, I'm saying yes. And now if you'll show me what it is, I've already said yes. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.